Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we're watching Lawrence of Arabia, because it's turning 60 years old. This is a long film, so we're going to do this first bit very quickly, because... Uh, we all have lives to live, and uh, this is just going to take quite a lot out of today. Uh, joining me, as always, we have someone who has seen the film before, and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it is Jason Doley. Hey, guys. How you doing, Jason? I'm good. Good. Uh, Lawrence of the Arabia. Yes. What do you know about it? Not much. Nothing? Nah. Any, any, anything at all? Oh, we are actually going to take a bit more time. Oh, we're, we're not going to just. Burn <laughs> we're not going to cheap them out. Yeah, we're not going to cheap them out at the beginning. <laughs> they, they understand. Uh, yeah. Uh, what do yeah. I know? I know it's. Uh, I know it's Peter O'Toole, Omar Sharif, Alec Guinness. I know it's long. I know it's not like a Bible epic, but it is kind of around that time of your Ben Hur's and your um, uh, Ten Commandments and so on, like that, or at least kind of the end of it as well. And I'd say that's about it. I'm would venture to say it's World War Two, but it might even be before that. It's, it's before that. It is before, before that. that. Yes. Cool. Yes. No. We'll, we'll we'll say it's before that, and we'll, okay. we'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> so anywhere in three thousand years of history before that. Gotcha. Yes. Uh, yeah. Post the invention of the name Lawrence. Yes. Pre World War Two. Yes. Cool. You know that classic time period. Yeah. 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 The Lawrence. B L A L. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, Lawrencean era. <laughs> um, <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, um, luckily for you who have not who has not seen this film before, we do have somebody who has seen the film mm-hmm. before. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is Murray Jackson. Hello there, Stephen. How are you, Murray? I'm fantastic. Looking forward to a nice long kip. I mean, a, a, a watch, a watch, a watch. I was going to say, you don't have much to do today, do you? Because uh, <laughs> this, this film is three and a half hours. It is. It's a, yes, it's, it's, you're, 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 under, you're underselling it, Stephen. It's, it's three hours and 38 minutes, I oh, believe. Well, when it gets that long, what's eight minutes? Oh, and of course, we've got all the extras to wade through as well. Mm, yes, we might, we might, might skip those today. <laughs> uh, just, I, it's just a phenomenally long film. We, we've done long films on the mm. program before. I mean, we we were talking before we started. Downfall is a very long Downfall, film. Downfall, Ben Hur, yep, Amadeus, yep. Just why do you get me on these long ones? Stephen? <laughs> Can't wait for them to do a mashup. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm also probably the only one who's in. Steven's little group has watched the greatest story ever told. Yeah, which well, is over four. I'm yeah. taking I'm taking this as actual punishment for by Stephen for for not uh, reviewing the Disney film the other week. So. <laughs> yes, yes. Now you did say no to bed knobs and broomsticks. I but, did, uh, yeah. which is a far shorter film. Yeah. Yes, although it's still like two plus hours. It's, it's is not it? the shortest. No, no, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's a bit of a slog. Yeah. Well, there we go. We so. must be getting to the end of all the short films, and now yeah. all the long ones are coming in. Yeah. 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 Look, I, I miss when we did Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, we, yeah. Unfortunately, we've done them already. We haven't yeah. done any of the Pixar shorts. So Pixar we, shorts. We'll yes. do them next year. If we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a series, a month of just very short reviews. <laughs> but uh, yes, it's a very long film. Yeah. As, mm. Aside from it being a long film, mm. uh, in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, what can you tell us about Lawrence of Arabia? Um, well, it's 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 one of the, the I guess the last true cinematic epics. Um, it's um, one of those movies where i think it was best suited to go to the cinema to watch because it's it's quite a, a you know grand scale it's it's filmed in um you know beautiful um uh photography and and gorgeous um soundtrack and um some pretty good acting in it as well um mm. it's just a very uh, epic sort of uh, 
thing grand scale cinema experience yes mm. and and for you in terms of obviously up against those others like ben-hur like mm. spartacus that 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 era mm. of like um these grand like big event yep. screenings um where, where, where does lawrence Arabia sit for you it sits very highly with me but i've got personal reasons for that that we might go into um maybe after the film's finished but oh. um i rate this one probably in my top 10 favorite films of all time Okay. Um, so yeah, pretty pretty high, and I really like Spartacus as well. So mm. um, yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's just a really engaging, um, well told, uh, in some ways controversial mm. uh, film. Um, but uh, a, a director who is just at the peak of his filmmaking ability and. Um, ably supported by some brilliant performances and as i say a, a gorgeous score by morris Shah. so everything comes together in this film excellent well with all that being said shall we watch lawrence of arabia indeed let's okay for those of you listening at home pop in those dvds load up those streaming services and prepare to take no prisoners no prisoners as we watch lawrence of arabia it wasn't over the top at all Stephen. back everybody we have just finished watching lawrence of arabia it's still the same day as when we started <laughs> but only just about i'm joined once again by my special guests murray jackson hello and jason doley hello uh yes jason that was your first time watching lawrence of arabia yes uh, what did you think did you um, did you enjoy the birthday celebration we had for you during it jason <laughs> yeah it's been uh, 84 years <laughs> Um, no, I did. I did enjoy it. Mm. Like it was long. Looking at my watch, more than it was long by the end of it, mm. in a weird way. Although I admit, like as soon as the intermission came up, I'm like, oh no. Yeah. But then realised the intermission was, you know, well more than half. It was more like yeah, two thirds. it was about two and a bit hours in of the yeah. three and a bit more. So it was yeah, yeah it was about maybe sixty percent of the way through. Yeah, which is always nice whenever you go see a play or anything. If mm. um, Second act should be shorter than the first act. Yeah. Because that just makes you go, all right, good, cool. We're just settling in. We're just getting through the last bit. So. Yeah. Um, but aside from the length, which I think is something that... Dominant, yeah. Yeah, it, it is dominant because there's a lot of film in here. There's a yeah. lot of seconds taken by. Um, but but with that sort of maybe put to one side... So I did enjoy it. Okay. I did really quite like it. Mm. It's, it's a good film. I like... I like it, and I like the films that it clearly inspired as well, which yeah, I've liked a, more. There's a few. There is a few, <laughs> yes. Watching this going, oh, <laughs> oh yes, I, I can think of six things where I've seen that. That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, cool. So I'm sure this isn't like where certain ideas came from, but at least it's probably the one that those people who then made it when I saw it mm. got their probably first glimpse of it as well in mm. Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, Mary, when did you last watch this? Oh, um... Oh, jeez. I think it's a while back. Um, probably a decade or more. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I first went to see this film, and I, I, I said to you at the beginning, I said it holds a special place to me. Mm. Um, it was one of the last films I ever saw with my 
parents. Oh, okay. okay. Um, Is it because it was so long they had to retire <laughs> at the end of it? <laughs> well, it's actually, it was about the time of the when, when the restoration of this film happened, which I think was early 90s from memory. I think it meant the um, actual restoration. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and we went to see it because uh, my mother had great trouble getting through films. Um, mm. She had a thing called Minius disease, which is a, a, a balance issue. Mm. So um, films often used to bring on vertigo. Um, but we went to see Lawrence at a, a really nicely restored old theatre in the middle of Auckland mm. City, and um, I was blown away by it because you know that that Panavision aspect and the the soundtrack and just um, incredible cinematography in this fantastic yeah. performances and um, I've been a lover of this film ever since. I think it does lose a little bit in a small screen setting you're not getting that mm. big wide um visual elegance that that, that that a film like this demands yeah um although i mean your, your screen here is pretty big but i will say for, for a domestic mm. setting this is about as close to, to the cinema. cinema as we're going mm. to get mm. yeah and, and I, I did appreciate the fact that you know we're watching it being projected mm. and that you know it, it does give a sense of the scale, but I can imagine seeing it in a in a cinema, cinema proper yeah. would be, and, um, and that's it. Like a yeah. cinema, there is sometimes nothing better than a cinema in a lot of ways. With mm. that, I saw to go back to it, Dune, which mm. we, we we mentioned a few times. Yes, I saw the recent Dune in a cinema, but not in a good cinema. Ah. And I'm just sitting there going, "Oh, this could have been better." I think I would have probably enjoyed it more watching it on Murray's than yeah. anything else. But was it was it a sound issue? I think it was a bit of a sound issue and a bit of a depth issue mm. and. Um, so on, but okay. like, well, I've got, I've actually got it, Jason. We can flick it on now if you like. Flick it on June, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got another three hours. Let's, <laughs> let's go. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think that this would have been. I can, I can see why. Certainly, it's considered a classic of the time as well, because mm. the idea of watching this film in the year it was released in 1962, and just seeing this otherworldly type vista um, mm. being displayed in lovely crisp imagery. Um, would have been fantastic, and also it's it's got a really lovely uh, color palette. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It, it it felt more like it was cinematic rather than epic in a way. Mm. Like having seen other films of a similar kind of, well, not sword and sandals, but mm. those ones were kind of sword and sandals epic, and this one wanted to be it with a modern yeah. twist as well. Like they'll tend to just go for this is the big thing, but these shots felt much more. Cinematic, cinem- mm. like you know, of a thoughts more of a cinematographer than just an epic person trying to capture huge yeah. things. Yeah, because I mean, this had its massive crowd scenes, yeah, you know, hundreds of extras all in a shot and things like that. But it didn't mm. feel like the chariot race from Ben Hur, for example, no. where that was very much instead of going, "Look how many things we've got on screen!" Yeah, come on, mm. overwhelm, overwhelm. Yeah. It's like, well, no, he had an army of thousands, so here they are. Uh, whereas with this one, you had a lot of. I think the only shot that really kind of felt like that was when they got to um, uh, that fir- in the first act. That, oh, Ak- um, uh, Akaba. Akaba, yeah. Akaba, yeah. When you see the the horses and the camels riding through the whole of Akaba. And then going throughout, around and through the mm. um, big set that yeah. they made. And, but you just have that lovely panning shot from left to right mm. of yeah. just the desert to the city to the ocean at, yeah. at the other end. That was the only one where I was like, oh boy, that's a, that's a lot of stuff going on in that <laughs> shot. That's amazing. Um, and, and to choreograph that and, and so on. I mean, yeah. this film actually reminds me, and, and the, the, the two films are in no way alike thematically in any mm. way, but 
I get the feeling that Sergio Leone saw this film and went, bloody hell, that's quite good. I'll make my own <laughs> epic and went out and made the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, I mean, he would have been working on, I think, the first of that trilogy, of the yeah. Dollars trilogy. It certainly would have been in pre-production or being written when mm. this was put to screen. Mm. And, and there were moments but where... But two it... films, similar length, yeah. um, similar grand scale... Um, yeah, even the, in some cases, um, similar environment. Um, yeah. When they got to the, um, <clears throat> the like abandoned, blown out house, mm, uh, yeah. that felt very much like some of the sequences yeah. from where the Civil War had affected the good, mm. the bad, and the ugly. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things when watching this. You're just thinking of other films, like Star Wars came up a lot yeah. because of obviously it's being shot in North Africa in those deserts that um, George Lucas would then yeah, screen wipes. Yeah, and... yeah, go yeah, yeah, and then a comparison of. There were some great transitions yeah. in this in terms of like and talking about cinematography. Yeah. Like the shots of like the the first one that always sticks out is the match. Blowing yeah. out the match. The match yeah. straight into the sunrise. And yeah, we compare that to kind of how crummy they are in mm. Star Wars <laughs> and how maybe George Lucas set but really you, good like cuts mm. back a few years with Star Wars. You watch something like that and you think um, for instance, you know, the transition shot of the, the, the ape throwing the bone into the air and it becomes the mm. the space station and in 2001 you yeah. think Kubrick watched this film and he went, yeah. great transition sequence. Yeah. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. Yeah. I, so I, I think Lean really influenced a lot of people with this film. Mm. I mean, yeah, and it, it, the story is, for, for those who are interested... Um, uh, <laughs> who don't it, want to waste three and a half hours. Yes. Uh, there's, there's a fellow named Lawrence, but that's not his first name. It's his last, last name. name. Yeah, T.E. Lawrence. Uh, he's a soldier. Larry to his friends. Larry to his friends. Uh, he is uh, serving in the British Army during the First World War. Um, he's not very good at it. And he's not very good at it, no. And so they're like, oh, how can we get rid of this guy? <laughs> so he gets sent on an expedition to Arabia um, as the Brits are obviously fighting against the Turks in that part mm. of, the, of the sphere but it's not seen as like the important bit of the war everyone there is kind of like we're the sideshow we all yeah, know the everybody Western yeah front. everybody talks about like the true thing is beating germany yeah but they can get at germany by getting at the turks mm. and so and so like lawrence's role is like as a sideshow in the sideshow <laughs> where they're like just go off deal with this prince faisal guy um see mm. if you can observe get, yeah see if you can get these uh, strictly observe, work out what he's meant to strictly there is an observer not an advisor lawrence yeah yeah and so he then starts to meet with the uh, different tribes and he uh, meets with the bedouin and obviously gets to know some of them and then they get killed and then yeah. he gets to know their killers <laughs> <laughs> and then some of them get killed later on as well but basically yeah. he he ingratiates himself within um the the nomadic tribes uh, within um, Arabia mm. who are having their land uh, taken by the Turks and the he comes along as a representative of the British government going oh, we'll <laughs> help you with that we promise we won't take it afterwards <laughs> but I, but Lawrence believes that Lawrence yes. Lawrence has no real mm. concept or at least doesn't think that the British yeah, or doesn't want, want to think yeah that, that the British want Arabia and he's probably very naive uh, yeah. in, in that sense we have no interest do we sir I can't imagine why <laughs> that kind of thing, uh, and and then yeah, the first half, the first act, I guess, of this film is is Lawrence sort of turning into this um, this this mythic figure, which obviously it's based on a real person. The events mm. in this film are based on real events, and Lawrence of Arabia was a figure of notoriety, particularly in the Western world. Mm. Uh, he was essentially the face of 
that part of the war. In Australia, we don't really have that connection because Australia had uh, Gallipoli. Gallipoli, yeah. Uh, so, and, and New Zealand, I should say, with the Anzacs, you have... Um... Oh, thank, thanks for mentioning so, us. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, I just realised how terrible that was. I was like, <laughs> they're not called the Axe, they're called the Anzacs. Uh, but yeah, the so Australia and New Zealand... Uh... Betrayed by your Winston Churchill, I believe, Stephen. <laughs> uh, not betrayed, badly planned, I think, is what it was put by. <laughs> but maybe a little betrayal, who knows. Um yeah, but in this part of the world, I don't think Lawrence of the Arabia is as focused on because Australia and New Zealand have so much of their national identities tied into the Gallipoli campaign and mm-hmm. that in part, actual Turkey. Yeah, in, in that part of the conflict with with Turkey, whereas I think for uh, Britain and America, it was Lawrence of the Arabia. It was this figure of like you know, mm. oh, he's a war hero, yeah, um, and he was um, built up as being quite significant to the war effort uh, essentially i think think what's great is that they portray that that time and and the the disparate tribes who um you know were all at basically each other's throats in that yeah. region and um probably romanticize it a little bit you know here comes lawrence and i mm. i'll galvanize you yeah, into this yeah. this this Thing called the Arabs and yeah, you know, mm. thank you, white well, person, for yeah, showing exactly. us how that we can be a race. It's, we can yeah. be it's mythologizing, really, isn't it? In yeah. terms of um, you know, the white man comes in to save the day again. Yeah, I mean, the fact is, is that there was some sense of these disparate groups wanting to come together because the you know the world was expanding and therefore mm. it was shrinking. Shrinking, yeah. and when you have a conflict like the First World War, where it's a war that started because let's not forget a duke got shot yes. in in the eastern europe and suddenly everyone's fighting everyone yeah so a lot of these uh parts of the world uh, as, as the world was becoming increasingly i suppose globalized or what was happening in one part of the world was affecting other parts it was forcing people to go all right what what do we do to ensure that we survive or that we can thrive and so i feel like the um the, the arab community coming together in the way that it's depicted in this film and the way that it was sort of historically spoken about is something that was probably going to happen. I feel like Lawrence was in the right place at the right time yeah. to sort of push that along to yeah, an extent. And I guess just to bring it away from probably real events and then into mm. this movie, he is seen as the big catalyst to yeah. it as well. But to to the film's credit, I guess, at the same time, they try to show him as being very... While he is the white savior, he's also very incapable at the same time. He's psychotic for yeah. stars. Yeah, he's psychotic. He's odd, but he has also got that weird thing where, like, oh, you're such a weird man, but you're so interesting. Yeah, and you're so brilliant, and you must well, be a brilliant man because you're mad. But that's, so I think that's the thing, isn't it? With a film like this, it's you're trying to distill someone's life. Yeah, into that. And I think it is great that they he's not portrayed as this one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Um, character that they explore different sides and they hint at you know things like um, sexuality and mm-hmm. and so on without delving into it because it was 1962 <laughs> they made this you weren't allowed to do that but just really interesting um, places for O'Toole to go as a as an actor as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. which must have made it an amazingly great opportunity for for him to play. and yeah. I think the reason this film is so well respected now is because. It doesn't lean into too much gung hoism as well about it. Like mm. war disturbs him. Every time something bad happens to him, he falls the hell apart. Yeah, mm. very quickly. Like 
it is a good like 20 minutes before he's pulled himself back up again to mm. try and be that leader again. And that's nice. It's he's not like you could imagine you could easily imagine them making this exact same film with somebody else in the lead role or even maybe even Peter O'Toole in the role and him being a very like uptight British person mm. and I am here to be British. Yes. Well when he comes in he's he's an out um he's outcast from the military because everyone's like he's very smart but he's also very like, I think weird at the same time and well, everyone talks about how weird he is he doesn't play by sort of the usual social conventions yeah, cause, yeah he's army. not the British rah, 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 yeah. rah, kind of thing you know, although we had a lot of fun doing that throughout the yeah, film yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. every, every, time, every the... time he came into the officers club what the belly hell are you doing Lawrence yes um, it was and, and I think it's a really interesting uh, and great depiction that O'Toole does I mean there's a lot of I think quite good acting in this film mm. but, but Peter O'Toole is the standout yeah and I think mm. that's what makes Lawrence of Arabia Lawrence of Arabia mm. it's that mixed with the cinematography like if some of those are down you'd be like yeah this mm. is okay Peter O'Toole feels like good Charlton Heston yes uh, that's like, what I was just thinking yeah. I'm like that's what makes me like this much more than say a Ben Hur. And, and I think else. you touched on a great point. You know, in in the hands of a different actor or in the hands of a different director, mm. you've got a completely different film. You mm. know? Yeah. Imagine, you know, I would say a Bruck, film. Bruckheimer directing Stallone. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's what I guess I was thinking of. Like, no this prisoners. Is, <laughs> <laughs> this is um, this would be, like you know, th- this is a, a break of even a. Th- theme of like an action hero mm. that you would see come up and be big for like 15 years in the 80s and the 90s of your Stallones and of your just general mm-hmm. um, kind of characters like that where yeah. it would be this and then I started thinking about like a really bad version of this film I was like what would they make it if they made it in the 2000s and then I remembered that The Last Samurai <laughs> exists mm. and I just thought it, it would be that yeah like or, or Troy or Troy yeah I would say, I would say Last Samurai is an even better one because it's mm. like go into the other culture you know be a prisoner of it work it out fix it all up for them and then I quite yeah. like some aspects of that film. Thank There's you, a few points in it, yes, but overall... But, I mean, I, I think that, yeah, the yeah, thing... Troy as well is a good good example of the length and the thing and the Peter O'Toole. Yes, yes. and such a brave choice of, of um, subject matter too because mm. three hours, 37 minutes, once again in the wrong hands, this could be very, very dull. Mm. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of shots of sand, a lot of shots yeah. of dunes, and at no point did I go, oh, not another one. Another one, yeah. Because it was shot really well. The score complemented it, and it gave the story the sense of that scale and that difficulty. Mm. And I, I do like that once we'd sort of gotten through the, trying to get to um, Akabar, and then he and the two kids he's basically adopted have to try and get oh, to yes. Cairo. It's not easy. One of no. them dies. <laughs> it's, it's like, In oh no, this not is... not quicksand, which yeah. is, I don't think how quicksand works. Yeah, but it's... Um, yeah, like it's still depicted as like no, this this thing that he just went through, he's now going for a different thing, and it still sucks. It sucks. Yeah, yeah. and I, I I really appreciated that about yeah. how, how it, that remained a danger. It's also that film about identity too. You know, when they finally he and um, I forget the the young lad's name, they finally get through the um, the desert to the Suez Canal, and they have the encounter with the courier on the bike on the other side, and he yells out. Who are you? Mm. And it's this very question that the audience is probably trying to ask itself too because you've been presented with so many different 
facets of this man. Yeah. And you're wondering, does he even know who he is and what he wants? And then in the second half, he answers that question by he's a damaged psychopath. Yes. Um, and I think it's really great that the film doesn't go... There, there isn't any sort of redemption or reform for him. No, it's he, just... He's he shuffled. Yeah, he, he goes completely mad. He yeah. massacres a bunch of people he didn't need to. He ignores... in. in trying to take over Damascus with uh, the Arab Council. Commits war crimes. Commits war crimes, completely ignores the hospital uh, full of wounded people. Yeah, wounded and, Turks. And yeah, and at the end of the film... Well, he loses control. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing, at the end, he loses control because it's back to these um, tribes with these old grudges. And he's yeah. never going to get, and he can't pull yeah, that no, together. He can't work that out, and that's why Faisal kind of comes in, he's like, all right, now let's work this one out. Like, mm-hmm. he's kind of to an extent taking control and even says to the British people it's like well now he's out of the way because he hurts me and he hurts you mm. he's helped us as much as he can and let's just you know put him in the English countryside and give him a bike yeah and mm. and that's it and and he's off and like they, they very much set it up in this film where it's like and he's gonna live on an airbase and we know that he lived on these these bases for the rest of his life basically mm. that he never the real T. Lawrence was never a figure who settled. Uh, he was never a figure who married. In fact, it was people suspect uh, that he may have been either uh, homosexual or bisexual, bisexual or yeah. potentially asexual. Um, mm. th- 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 he wrote quite frequently in his letters about not having sex or just that sex was something that was very foreign to him. And so there is a process of, uh, there is an those, argument yeah. for that, yeah. Um, and but he's he's a not heterosexual literal war action hero. Yeah, which that's super fascinating in mm. a lot of ways. And and I think this film does a really good job of going, yeah, okay. So we're not gonna we're not gonna like have him shack up with some lady just to be like, yeah. oh yeah, no, he's yeah. if, I, if first I, we'd have to put one yeah, in. No women at all is what they decided <laughs> just to be safe. We're gonna <laughs> no women at all in this film. Uh, and then um, but yeah, the fact that they they do hint at it. You know, there are those scenes. Yeah. Uh, particularly, well, with, the two young boys. With the, yeah. well, well, with the Turkish Bay was more what I was thinking. Where? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, it's the the, the, the Turkish Bay who probably comes off looking um, the most um, homosexual. The, the, the mm. with the <coughs> in the background there, yeah. as, as with each beating, like he's getting a little bit of pleasure out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or, he's, yeah, he's getting short of breath. Mm. Yeah, but this, um, yeah, like having this figure that comes into the 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 film character's life that comes in and essentially appears to be flirting with him uh, or at least like showing sexual interest in him in some degree and then that immediately then getting tied to pain because one of the other things about the real T. Lawrence is it is highly likely based on what people have said that he was a masochist of some kind Mm. and I think obviously it's, it's, it's a tricky thing to do particularly because technically this film did have the blessing of T. Lawrence's estate until they saw it. <laughs> um, basically, originally this was not going to be called Lawrence of the Arabia. It was going to be named after the book that his brother wrote about his life, which is The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Oh, yeah. And then well, his brother just went, weighty title. Yeah, his brother went, yeah. uh, actually, no, nope, that's not, I'm not happy with how you've depicted my brother. You can't have Use the my name. name of the book. Yeah. yeah. He couldn't stop the film being released, but he could refuse the name. And so they just went, fine, we'll just call it Lawrence of the Arabia. Um, but I, I think that the film does quite. For for a film shot in the late fifties and early sixties, I think is quite bold to mm. to to not ignore it. <laughs> Firstly, I think is quite bold, but to just leave those hints in there so that if you're in the know, you know. 
Mm, yeah. I, I think it's it's quite a forward thinking. Well, I think the, the the thing is that they touch on so many things there. It just builds or adds to that mystery mm. of who is this man. Yeah. Um. And you, as you say, you you can walk away from it going, well, he was a psychopathic killer, or he was um, a potential savior, like he, the people at the funeral at the start yeah. of the film. Was like, exactly. I, excuse me, I met him once, and I disagree with what you say. Like we, yes. we he but, was a shameless yeah. self promoter. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the, yeah, and I think it is really fascinating to see a biographical film. Even though this is probably more in the realm of entertainment than a true biography, yeah, biography, yeah. Um, but to see a biographical film that decides, yeah, we're gonna this this guy was a bit of a dick uh, in some respects, and we're not gonna shy away from that. In fact, the entire second act is his downfall. Yeah, so it's like the anti-Bohemian Rhapsody of it all. Yeah, um, or like obviously right now, uh, Weird Al Yankovic's got his biography coming out, which is mm. just a send-up of all other music biographies mm. going on, like. They make him seem so amazing at the time, and it's just so stupidly done. I don't know. Have you guys seen the trailers? Well, no, I've seen know, the trailer. No. Yeah, yeah, you see yeah. the trailer, and you're just like, "Oh, I get what this film yeah, the, is the, now." The, the fact that the fact that the Weird Al biopic is a parody of musical biopics is just very fitting for a parody artist. Oh, yeah, like, yes, it's, exactly. Yeah, very, very cleverly done. Whereas <laughs> with, with this, I think it is quite bold to do that and to do something that the estate goes, "Yeah, we're no, not, we're no. not happy about this." Oh well, too bad. Yeah, um, but, but I, I respect that more. Actually, it makes me like this film even more, knowing that it's like whitewashing the white savior as well. It's like yeah. we were not doing that. Speaking of whitewashing, yes. Let, let's oh talk, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about uh, a little thing that this film employs, which is blackface. Yeah. Uh, because or brownface uh, in this well, case. well brownface in this case. Yeah. Um. So we have um the the wonderful Alec Guinness, mm-hmm. uh, Obi Wan Kenobi himself, uh, yes. as uh, Prince Faisal. Mm. And the performance, I think, is quite good. Like yes, in terms yeah. of like playing a sort of sl- quite a sly but friendly sly, politician. Yeah, sly, friendly, clever, yeah. very aware politician. It's a good performance. It's a good yes. performance. But he is made up to appear Arabic, and he's not the only actor who nope. that this happens to. But he's probably the most prominent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, Jason, particularly as the first time viewer, <laughs> how did that make you feel? When obviously, oh, it's not great. Yeah. It just makes you just sit there going, "All right, we're just not thinking about this for a bit." Mm. Um, you know, having Omar Sharif there was good. Then there was the other guy as well, who Anthony I just looked, Quinn. Yeah, who I looked up is Mexican. Yeah. Uh, or born in Mexico at the very least, mm. so um, <clears throat> it's it, it doesn't make me feel great. But um, I also did enjoy the slow dropping of the accent <laughs> till it was because when I first heard, it, I'm like, that doesn't sound anything like um, Alec Guinness. That's mm. very interesting. I wonder what he's. Oh no, here he is. There he is. Yeah, he's it came through being, as it went. He on. just yeah, he, he started getting more nasally and getting mm. more, you know, whatever. Is he Scottish? British? He's English. He's not Arabic. That's no, the main thing. No, he's very much not Arabic. But yes, he started. You know, yeah, he went more to the mm. to the Obi Wan, I guess, more than anything. Once, once again, I think you have to you have to recognise it's of the time and, and yes, so on. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, which I know is a lazy thing, and we we always say that, don't we? It's mm. of of its time. Um, I suppose. Look, if you could say anything in its defence. Um, at least it's not one of those roles with us sending up. The yeah, character. it's not a stereotype. Yeah. So that that trying to treat the character with some degree of, I guess, accuracy or, mm. or or respect. It just feels very odd because you you also have 
Omar Sharif in a prominent role, yes. who is uh, an Egyptian, Egyptian actor. Yeah, mm. and so you have an actor from an area close to where you, where your story <laughs> we're getting is. Closer, but we're not there yet. And there are other um, Arabic actors there. Yeah, but these there's those two roles, as you say, with with Quinn and with Guinness, um, they could have been played by actors yeah. from, from Arabic origin, but mm. also maybe that was a studio thing going, no, we need the record. Uh, I, I think also, too, you have to recognise the fact that, that Peter O'Toole was not a big name no. at the mm. time. So there was probably that pressure, too, to have, who are the stars? Yeah. Who have we got as the stars of this? Mm. Well, we've got this, we've got Peter O'Toole, who's he? We've got Omar Sharif, well, who's he? Who's he, yeah. Mm. We've got no stars. Okay, well, look, we can bring in Jack Hawkins, Sounding better? Not a bad idea. Let's bring in Jack. Yes, mm. um, Guinness is Prince Faisal. Fantastic. Let's do that. Yeah. Mm. Um, so I dare say there was studio pressure to actually have a certain to make it a star percentage. Yeah. Which, um, you know, that's just Duriga for the day. And I don't think we should really necessarily pick on it too much when. As you know, shucks, off the top of my head, forty years ago, mm. um, John Rhys Davies is playing an Egyptian. You know, yes. so this is a sin that's been, um, you know, throughout Hollywood for God knows how long, mm. and has only disappeared, and maybe hasn't disappeared yet. Yeah, has only really come to prominence and. Um, under investigation, probably in the last decade, two decades, True. maybe? Yeah, I, I think the last time that mm. it was used where it was acceptable in, in the sense that people didn't immediately riot and boycott the film yeah. was Tropic Thunder, where it was yes, yeah. a point of... Like, it was a plot point mm-hmm. uh, where you had a character who was trying to be the ultimate character actor and you had Robert Downey Jr. playing an Australian actor who was playing a character who was in blackface Yeah, um, and was sort of used as a tool to send up even method acting and i remember at the time people going oh that's blackface and then going but it works and other people going but it's still wrong and yeah. that being a big point of contention with that film but it would it, but it like yeah I, I can't think of a, a film more recently than that where it's been used in a non-ironic or commentary way yeah. no and you i mean yeah you even had um Recently, um, people were sort of retrospectively getting up in arms about the Wayan brothers doing white chicks, um, you know, doing the the, the opposite of yeah, white yeah. face. Um, Which is still about four years before Tropic Thunder. Yeah, yeah. so it, it, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where if we're going to uh, say, look, that's wrong, and you know, we'll take a stance on this. Mm you are going to wipe out a good number of excellent films for just that point. Yeah, and I, I feel as though it's more... I think it's worth discussing in relation to this film just because it is a, a note. It's a notable bad thing happening in a notably good lauded film. film. Mm. Yeah, if and, it's, yeah, like if it's the one in like Ben-Hur, which mm. is a worse performance mm. that won an Academy Award, <laughs> um, in a... Ben Hur's nowhere near as good as this. Yeah. Um, spoiler warning for what I thought of it and what number <laughs> I'm going to give it. Um, yeah, like it's better to have these conversations in good films. I know mm. recently there was an interesting co- um, comment on um, whiting up characters, like turning characters who were meant to be 
Asian or anything like th- or or Asian mm. or something along those lines in a, a bunch of films recently. Yeah. Uh, and some of them, everyone's like, so well, it wasn't a great film. But mm. then in good films like The Martian mm. as well, there's a few characters get their races completely changed as well in that from mm. the book um, for no reason other than to, I think, fit in a famous person. Mm. Yeah. So you turn one character from Indian to... Um, African, so you could put in Chiwetelegia for, mm-hmm. um, and then there's even just a small character who does some important things in the film, who goes from being Asian to being white, just being a white blonde girl, yeah, wearing pink all the time, and literally they keep her name as Park as well, like Ms. Park. Right. So, yeah, there's there's those conversations that kind of come with with other films as well, which I think is where it's going. But yeah, and I th- I think it's just important to to sort of flag it because it's like. Yeah, Lawrence of the Arabia when 60 years ago from when we're talking was when it was released mm. and 60 years ago this was a common practice. Yeah, and that's it. Like you know, you know sometimes you're getting into these films and you know you're going to encounter racism. Yeah. Mm. Um I am surprised and it's not a blanket thumbs up in terms of not being racist, but I'm surprised at how slightly less racist it was yeah, as well, but it, it doesn't give that it doesn't give it a clear pass. Well, it's yeah. it's just, interesting that that it's a film that actually brings up the subject of racism at one point, mm. where he takes the young boy into the officers' club, and it's like you can't bring him in here. Yeah, um, and he makes a point of it. Yeah, it makes a point of of um, basically saying, well, you know, this is a ridiculous attitude, and mm. yeah. he's going to get his bloody glass of lemonade. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, I th- that's why I think. You got to look at these things and say, what was the intent here? Yeah, was the intent to stand up? Was the intent to disparage? Was the intent to, um, in any way, um, de- de- degrade the character that mm. that the, the person's playing? If not, then maybe remember the time it was made mm. and and just carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, but it's also important that I, I think we. Didn't go for this review going, it wasn't Alec Guinness great. (laughs) Nothing wrong with what was going on there. Like, Yeah, it was there um, and definitely worth covering. I mean, I I do have to say, um, aside from Peter O'Toole, um, I I, I really liked Omar Sharif in this. And it's just nice seeing him so young. Mm. (laughs) I'm used to older um, Omar Sharif. He's he's fantastic in this. Mm. Um, yeah, just just a really strong performances throughout this film. Yeah, I really liked um, the actor who plays Kasim. I think is it. Yeah, is it Kasim? Kasim. It, it was. Uh, well, I think it was uh, Gazim. Spelled Gaz- with a G. Gazim. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that and that that whole plot was like, oh, this is kind of heartbreaking. Mm. And I don't know. I wonder if it's a film like this is going to be is more appreciated now because we're used to this idea of binge watching things. And essentially, this is only about as half as long as most of the things we've ever binge watched in terms of good meaty TV shows like Severance mm. or mm. Andor, which is going on at the moment. Not to date this exact podcast to, to a certain point, mm. or House of Cards, or what have you. Like it's meaty, and it's this is only a third of a House of Cards season, and mm. I did that in a whole day once. Yeah, nice. but I, I think. Um trying to find an, an audience for this film now might be a little bit more difficult because narratively um, people are looking for something a little bit yeah, different. Yeah, yeah, um, I think, yeah. Maybe I'm more so, thinking more about the length yeah. than the actual subject, mm. right? Mm. Yeah, and I, I think it, it's an interesting one as well because it is very much a film about colonisation. Um, mm. And I think it's a film where colonisation doesn't come off 
very strong, which is unusual for a <laughs> an action film. A, an act, well, particularly an, a war film from the sixties made about World by, War One. Yeah, made by the Americans or made about the British or yeah. things like that. You know, as soon as it's revealed that. Oh yeah, the British and the French are planning to divvy up the, the Turkish Empire after the war, mm. and obviously people there don't get any say in it. Um, yeah. I, I think the film takes a takes a, a surprisingly strong stand on it. But then again, thinking about it, the film was released about fifty years after the events of this this part of yeah. Lawrence's life, and they could see the the impact of what that did, and yeah. how not a lot of good stuff came out of yeah. um, of divvying up. Uh, that part between two foreign powers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a fascinating film, uh, and it is still very long though. Just yeah. just just can't can't escape the fact that this is a long film. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like some trivia about Lawrence of Arabia? How how long is it, Steve? Well, it's quite long. So actually, uh, I, I suggest we take an intermission now. And welcome back. Uh, all of this trivia is sourced from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't blame me. And a uh, fair warning, I, there was a lot of trivia on <laughs> of Arabia. I've tried to cut it down to the stuff that is actually probably the most interesting. Um, and even that's quite a long list. So it's, uh, yeah, uh, buckle in, everybody. On his first location scouting trip in Jordan, the director, David Lean, uh, later... Was in Jordan. Yes, yes, there was some in Jordan. Some as well, in Jordan, yeah. yeah. Uh, so David Lean uh, discovered the remains of the Turkish locomotives and railroad tracks that Lawrence had destroyed <laughs> during the revolution. Uh, after forty years in the sun, they hadn't rusted. Hmm. So yeah, he he found the actual stuff while he was location <laughs> scouting. I don't think they actually shot, shot there it. in the end, mm. but um, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of like, what's this? Oh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> ooh. Quick, take that for the props department. <laughs> we'll need that. Uh, King Hussein of Jordan lent an entire brigade of his Arab legion as extras for this movie. So most of the film's soldiers are played by real soldiers. Uh, Hussein frequently visited the sets and became enamoured of a young British secretary, uh, Antoinette Gardner, who became his second wife in 1962. (laughs) Their eldest son... Abdullah II, King of Jordan, uh, yes. ascended to the throne in 1999. Yes. Oh, well, there we go. So there you go. This film having very real impact on yeah. uh, politics. Just, uh, is that stealth colonisation? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I, th- I think it's more just, you know, it's a classic story of uh, Shake Meets Girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crown Prince of Jordan yes. Meets Girl. Yeah. Film coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, This movie was banned in many Arab countries as they felt uh, Arab historical figures and Arab peoples were being misrepresented. Omar Sharif arranged a viewing for the uh, president of Egypt, Gamal Abdel Nasser, to show him that there was nothing wrong with the way that they were portrayed. Nasser loved the movie and allowed it to be released in Egypt, where it went on to become a monster hit. Yeah. Hey! Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. Egyptians do love... Omar Sharif as well, like, yeah. as just as a person and so on. They have a very big reverence for him. Mm. Yeah, and why not? He's great. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't... I seems, mean, seems having... like... <laughs> Never met him. Seems like he's yeah. a lot of fun, though. Um, the first time Peter O'Toole tried riding a camel, blood oozed from his jeans. Uh, to quote him, he said, 
This is a very delicate Irish arse, uh, he told his instructor. Uh, he finally mastered his camel riding technique uh, by adding a layer of sponge rubber under the saddle to ease his bruised backside, a practical innovation that was quickly adopted by the actual Bedouin tribesmen acting as extras in the desert locations. Where has this been all our years? <laughs> yes, so O'Toole was then nicknamed Ab al in Sfanjar, which is uh, Bedouin for father of the sponge. <laughs> uh, and yeah, O'Toole, uh, with his, his little innovation there, uh, directly impacted how um, Bedouin tribesmen ride their camels. There you go. It's a cultural exchange. Yes. It's, yeah. I, I just love the... What's your nickname? Father of the sponge. Father of the sponge. Mm. Is... It's better than him being called delicate Irish ass. which yeah. is, I think, what he was aiming for with the first bit. <laughs> Indeed. Sponge peach square pants. Yeah. This movie took longer to make than it took the real T.E. Lawrence to go from lieutenant to colonel uh, and to see the desert tribes united and tip the balance in favour of the Allies against the Turks in World War One. It was a very long production process. Yes. Um, and, yeah, the idea of... What are you saying, seven years? Well, there were contracts for up to seven years. Uh-huh. I don't think the actual production took that long, but mm. it was close. <laughs> yeah, because some of the actors they really wanted, as we'll get to in a little bit, um, turned it down because they just didn't want to sign a contract. That for meant seven years. That, yeah, they were on call. Or the call. possibility of seven years. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's, it's, yeah, that's a long, that's a long haul. So that's mm. maybe why... Are they going to make a sequel? They did. Lawrence, kicking ass, taking names. Is that going to be a fact? Because I looked that one up. That what, there's a sequel of Lawrence there's, of Arabia? Yes. I wasn't aware of that. Yes, it is called um, Lawrence After Arabia. Oh, yeah? And um, it's very they do film. have a very famous person playing T.E. Lawrence for oh, yeah. that. Ray Fiennes. Oh, okay. Yes. That actually sounds vaguely interesting. Now. Yeah, like, obviously I've not seen it or anything, mm. but I pulled it up on IMDb because... Mm. Um, uh, okay, I just forgot how to spell Lawrence for a second. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Lawrence After Abbey, it has him. And um, I think there's even another couple because it's so vague and out of copyright that you can kind of almost make a TV movie out of it as okay. well. So yeah, no, some of the reviews are like, yeah, not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And okay. I think it's got High praise six indeed. point something on IMDb. All so, right. Yeah. Well, we might, we might have to do that at some point yes. then. Uh, the costume designer for this film, Phyllis Dalton, deliberately made O'Toole's army outfit too small and ill-fitting to signify Lawrence's discomfort with the military uniform. Yeah. And he did look really weird in mm. it, particularly once he'd been wearing the traditional robes and then yeah. came back to uh, military life for the British. It, it did look very out of place. Yeah, because well, yeah, he talks about it, it's not mine and it's like fiddling with it because it's just so mm. weirdly mm. fitting for him. Yes, I found it now. Mm-hmm. Lawrence after Arabia. Okay. Um, or a dangerous man. Um, it has Ray Fiennes as Lawrence. Um, mm. Oh, they actually got. Uh, I think he's Syrian. Um, no, Sudanese is Alexander Siddig is Faisal. Okay. Which is actually pretty good. That's not, like not Alexander bad, Siddig is really cool. Mm. So, um, yeah, and it's got six point eight on. Um, thing it was made. It was a TV movie made in nineteen ninety two, and it only goes for an hour and forty seven minutes. Wow, that's. Eschewing the traditions of this film. I don't know if I like that now. <laughs> we'll watch it twice. Yes. Okay, that's fair. Um, Alec Guinness was made up to resemble the real uh, Faisal, is how this is worded, as opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> engaged in brownface. Uh, but when they were shooting in Jordan, several people who um, knew the real Faisal mistook him. Oh. As like, is that... No, he's dead. <laughs> like that kind of thing. But yeah. Um, and it was a similar thing for Anthony Quinn. He once turned up to set and he had his makeup done and the director thought he was an extra. <laughs> like he mistook him. So 
Yeah, it, it did happen. Uh, although three hours and 36 minutes long, this movie has no women in speaking roles. Uh, it is reportedly the longest movie not to have any dialogue spoken by a woman. Yep. Yeah. And... It's, it's like, yeah, it's a fact. It's nothing <clears throat> we're going to say. Mm. It's more, this is a story which doesn't have a lot of female roles because it's a World War One, yeah, British and Arabic army film where all of the key figures in that side of things, there weren't women in high-ranking military positions. Mm, no. So um, even though it's like, hmm, I'm noticing a lot of... A lot, of, a lot of dicks talking right now. <laughs> not a lot of anything else. It's um, a sausage fest. It is a complete sausage fest, but it's... I don't know. It, it's a bit like with... I, I, it, it just doesn't feel like it's, like, that big of the problem for this specific film. Mm, yeah. If that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, it's still unusual. <laughs> yeah, no. It's an interesting fact about yeah. it. Yeah. Um this movie missed out on an 11th Oscar nomination for Best Costume Design because someone forgot to submit Phyllis Dalton's name for consideration, <laughs> which I'm wondering if that's a consequence of the fact there are no women in this film. They're <laughs> Phyllis just like, is like, mm. They're like, they forgot about me. Oh, women exist? What? Mm-mm. Like, yeah. So that's less good on on that yeah. side of things. We only brought one woman and she got married to the prince, so... Oh, true, yeah, yeah. true, yeah. Uh, in the actual battle of uh, Akbar, uh, T.E. Lawrence was nearly killed when his camel threw him after he uh, accidentally shot it in the head. Uh, so it's, he kind of brought it on himself. <laughs> He's such a bad saviour. <laughs> um, but in a notable coincidence, uh, during filming, Peter O'Toole was nearly killed. Because the camel shot him in the head? Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, a gun or rocket that was used to signal action in the uh, first Akbar take fired prematurely, and O'Toole was thrown by his panicked camel in front of charging horses. Um, fortunately for O'Toole, the camel, who was uh, trained for what to do when the rider was thrown, uh, stood over him to prevent him being trampled. Ah. Which is just pretty cool. That, That's very clever. Yeah, that they know to do that. It's like, oh, I dropped my guy. Quick. Yeah, quick. On the guy. <laughs> I, I can't listen to Akbar anymore without saying, it's a trap. <laughs> yes, Admiral Akbar. Uh, absolutely. Um, producer Sam Spiegel wanted the director, David Lean, to consider the, cast, the cost-saving benefits of shooting in Southern California or the less, the less volatile political climate of Israel. <laughs> at the time at the time <laughs> lean however was determined to <clears throat> film the story where it happened in a middle eastern country uh, one obvious problem for spiegel was the fact that he was jewish um given the political situation in the middle east there was a good chance that a jewish producer wouldn't even be allowed into places like jordan mm. uh the production's british advisor anthony nutting uh who had been england's minister of state for foreign affairs at the start of the suez crisis <laughs> Uh, got around that problem by getting Spiegel a visa that listed his religion as Anglican. When the forthrightly Jewish producer protested, nothing said, Sam, just shut up. Here's your bloody visa. End <laughs> quote. So, uh, yeah. That's, that, that sounds like something that the uh, former Minister of State for Foreign Affairs would do. for England would have done. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. If he can't have Jews coming in, let's make him not Jewish. <laughs> Simple. It's not right, but it'll get it done. We're going to have to glue something on the penis, sir. I don't think they do those checks quite as they do. I think <laughs> it's not part of the visa process. Yeah. It's not part of border control. Is no, that what I you're think, saying, Stephen? I think just just the form's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Peter O'Toole won his career-making and legendary part as T.E. Lawrence after it was turned down by Marlon Brando. 
Oh, that would have been a different film. That that's probably the film I was thinking of. Yeah, it was also turned down by the no then... prisoners. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It was also turned down by the then unknown Albert Finney. Oh, okay. Uh, David Lean and Sam Spiegel wanted Brando because Spiegel had worked with him on On the Waterfront, which right. was uh, Brando won an Oscar for that. Spiegel also won his first Oscar for that film, so it makes sense. Uh, but Brando turned down the role saying he didn't want to spend two years of his life riding around on a camel. So, <laughs> fair enough. Um, their second choice, Finney. Are you was, saying he could have been a contender? He was a contender, but then he turned it down. <laughs> Uh, the second choice, Finney, was put through extensive screen tests costing £100,000. Uh, That's a lot of money. Yeah. But wow. he refused to sign a seven-year contract demanded by Spiegel. Uh, O'Toole uh, signed the co- signed that seven-year contract and got the part. Yeah. So, yeah, Finney was like, mm, uh, it's no, a break, but yeah. seven years is too long. So, yeah. That's that's how that one fell out. <laughs> this movie spent two years in pre-production before 14 months of location shooting in Jordan, Spain, and Morocco. Yep. It's a, it's, it seems like quite a quick shooting time, to be honest, for how long the for film was. For how long is. the film was? Yeah. 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 Um, still a long time. Yeah, I, I, they also shot them so quickly back then. Uh, but because of the cinematography this demanded, it got probably put out longer mm. to get your day shots and your... Um, sunrises. Sunrises. Mm. Although that, I feel like that sunrise was just a bloke with a red light just pointing it at him. Soldiers from the Moroccan army were employed as extras without pay, which uh, they resented, understandably. Yep. During off hours, they would take pot shots at the casting crew <laughs> just to get out their frustrations. Yeah. Uh, some other soldiers deserted between takes and never came back. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they, they weren't through. I assume deserted the shoot, not just deserted the entire Moroccan army. Well, I mean, technically they were there on army duty. Maybe, yeah, they, maybe, maybe yeah. they did. Listen, lads, as much couscous as you can eat. Uh, when shooting Peter O'Toole and I.S. Jahar riding together on a single camel, so this is um, Lawrence and, and uh, Gazm. Yeah, Fred, one of these. Uh, uh, Gazm, who he rescued. Oh, Gazm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they were riding together on a single camel. Uh, David Lean saw that they were having trouble staying on the animal. <laughs> on closer inspection, a large block of hashish was discovered. Both actors were completely stoned. <laughs> shooting had to be abandoned for the day. <laughs> Yeah, I remember hearing that story at some point, and I couldn't remember who. I knew it was Peter O'Toole mm. and somebody, and I don't know if it was yeah drugs or alcohol. There are a lot of stories of Peter O'Toole and somebody else drinking, ab- abusing substances, and not being able to work very well. Uh, <laughs> I I kept that one because that was probably the most interesting one. Yeah, there the other is... ones are just they were drunk while riding around for a bit. Yeah, there's another one with Lenny Bruce that's coming up. So. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Peter O'Toole was often injured during filming. He received the following injuries. Third degree burns, sprained both ankles, tore ligaments in both his hip and thigh, broke his thumb, dislocated his spine, fractured his skull, bitten by a camel, sprained his neck, tore a groin muscle, and twice concussed. (laughs) Not to mention the sore bum. Yeah. Mm. He was also seriously injured uh, on his hand. Uh, during filming by punching through the window of his caravan while he was drunk. A brace or bandage can be seen on his left thumb during the first train attack scene. Presumably this was shot around the time of the incident. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, very, very tough film for Mm. for O'Toole. Some self-inflicted, but still (laughs) pretty tough. Um, Alec Guinness had a lifelong interest in T.E. Lawrence and had played him on stage in a production of Terence Rattigan's play, Ross. 
Guinness really wanted to play Lawrence, but uh, both the director, David Lean, and producer Sam Spiegel told him he was too old. Uh, Lawrence Olivier was the original choice for Prince Faisal, and Guinness was shifted to that when Olivier turned down the role. Uh, When filming conservationists Robert Harris and Jim Painton got permission from Columbia Pictures to restore this movie, four tons of extraneous footage was delivered to their door. It took them nearly a year to get through all the material. Sunrise, sunrise, another bloody sunrise. (laughs) So yeah, 14 months worth of existence. Yeah. Yeah, it's about four tons. <laughs> yeah, four tons. Yeah. Um, Alec Guinness admired Peter O'Toole's talent and charm, but as he watched him drink to excess on location, this appreciation cooled. One day, the two of them were invited to dinner at a local dignitary's house. O'Toole got drunk, quarrelled with his host, and threw a glass of champagne in his face. Guinness wrote to a friend, O'Toole could have been killed, shot, or strangled, and I'm beginning to think it was a pity he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, Anthony Nutting, uh, we mentioned before, yes. former foreign affairs uh, minister, convinced King Hussein of Jordan that this movie would boost tourism, thus bringing more money into the then cash-starved nation. He also appealed to the king's sense of family. The king's great-grandfather, Sharif of Mecca, had launched the Arab revolt with T.E. Lawrence in 1916. Hussein quickly gave this movie his blessing. Nutting even managed to negotiate the fee for the Jordanian army's cooperation down from £1 million to £165,000. Ooh, that's, that's a saving. Yeah. Good, good negotiating there, Nutting. <laughs> and a box of golden guineas. Yes. Mm. Uh, <laughs> appear- that's all paper in his piss. <laughs> <laughs> Comes out with fistful of it. <laughs> this isn't gold! <laughs> in an appearance on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Peter O'Toole confessed quite proudly that... Out of fear of falling off a big camel during one of the riding scenes, he and Omar Sharif decided to get absolutely hammered and then tied themselves to the camels before (laughs) shooting. By his own admission, he was so drunk he had no idea where he was or what he was doing for the attack on Akbar scene. (laughs) Sorry, Akbar, not Akbar. You've you've got it in my head. I've got it now, yes. The attack bar. It was a trap. For the T.E. Lawrence death scene, Peter O'Toole sat on a bike that was strapped to a trailer and pulled along behind the camera car. During filming, the bar connecting the trailer to the camera truck snapped, and the only thing preventing O'Toole hurtling out of control into the road was a flimsy piece of rope. The trailer abruptly stopped, and the crew breathed a heavy sigh of relief to see O'Toole still in one piece. I think it was only Lawrence up there teasing us, he said. (laughs) Would have been very unfortunate. If yeah. Peter O'Toole died the same way T. Lawrence yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. The night before the Los Angeles premiere, Peter O'Toole and Omar Sharif attended a performance by the controversial comedian Lenny Bruce. Afterwards, they had a few drinks with him, then went to his house, where he proceeded to shoot heroin. <laughs> At that moment, the police broke in and arrested all three on drug charges. Sharif called Sam Spiegel in the middle of the night, and the producer used his influence to get the two actors released. But O'Toole refused to go unless Bruce was released as well, so Spiegel and his lawyers had to get the comedian's drug charges dropped. It's amazing what your producers can do. (laughs) The Allenby family lodged a formal complaint against Columbia Pictures about their portrayal of their ancestor. Because, you know, he came off as a guy that just wanted to go fishing. Yeah. Um, the descendants of... He was the first general. No, he was the second one. Second general. Ah, yeah. Mm. yeah. The one with the very receding hairline. Yes. yes. Jack Hawkins. Yes. Uh, yeah, the, the, his his real life family. Not 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 so Not king. so for, yeah. Yeah. Neither were the descendants of Alda Abu Tayyi, uh, Anthony Quinn's character. Quinn's character, yeah. Um, and the real Sharif went even further and actively sued the studio. The case dragged on for 10 years before it was dropped. 
<laughs> so yeah, I think the fact that nobody who was connected to the people who are depicting this film liking it maybe shows that it had something going for it. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, just showing that they're all. I mean, the same thing happened with James Cameron and Titanic. That was probably a bit more to a. That was more Hollywoodization as mm. well, mm. where like, you know, the guy, the family of the guy who shot, um, one of Leonardo DiCaprio's mates in that was an actual person who. Oh yeah. Went down with the ship and did all the honourable stuff, but they're like, nah, he's a coward now. So, mm. yeah, that sucks. Yeah. But, yeah. The final bit of trivia, mm-hmm. um, or at least the final bit that I picked, because again, <laughs> there was a lot of it. During the desert location shoot, after each rehearsal and take, 300 Bedouins wearing sandals muffled with wool were charged with smoothing out the desert sand with palm fronds so that no extraneous footprints would be visible. Yeah, I was thinking mm. about that. Mm. And watching it, I was like... That's that's really necessary. Yeah. You, just the amount of this film that is people traveling through sand. Um, <laughs> you, you absolutely have to have that. But just, yeah, it's kind of cool putting lots of wool on the feet and then just going yeah. along with the palm fronts doing that. Yeah. It's very cool. And it wasn't noticeable. You know, I was looking for like signs of like a leftover frond or something. Yeah. But no, they really uh, did a good job. So well done, everyone. That brings us to the mm. end of this review. Uh, and it's time for us to score the film. Jason. It was your first time watching Lawrence of Arabia. Yes. What score would you give it out of 10? I am going to give it eight hours. <laughs> eight hours. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I did enjoy it. I quite enjoyed it a lot. Um, everything about, like, forgiving certain things, length, mm. but not even having to forgive sometimes pace as well. Mm. Um you know things of the time as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I had a time watching it that I, I think was positive. Okay, what about yourself, Murray? Ah, uh, well, I've already given my lot away. I think um, it's a great film. I, I, one of my favourites. Um, so yeah, I'm giving it a solid nine. Cool glasses of lemonade out of ten. Mm. <laughs> they did look pretty good. It did. They yeah. looked, I, I, I actually looked, looked no, at that lemonade thinking, and went, "I'm thirsty now." Yeah, but I also said they just going. Oh, that's going to be worse for your dehydration. Mm. Like that much sugar. Mm. Nah, just take the ice cubes with it. Just yeah, just drink, drink it all down. Um, I really was not pleasantly surprised that this was a good film. It's Lawrence of the Arabia. I'm presuming yeah, yeah. That it's a classic <laughs> it's been talked about for a, a reason. Lot. Yeah. Um, but I am I am pleased with how much I enjoyed watching this film. Uh, it's closer to four hours than it is three, and mm. it didn't necessarily feel like that. Still felt long, uh, but. I, I wouldn't say that it, it suffered from that crime of being longer than it was interesting. Yes, I, I think it didn't I was, outstay its welcome. Yeah, no. I, I think I think they ended it at a, at a good time. Um, yeah. Any longer, yeah, we we wouldn't have been able to do it. Mm. <laughs> we wouldn't mm. able to review it. It's too long. <laughs> um, but it was it was yeah very enjoyable. So I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it eight uh, stolen horses out of ten because uh, that I'm. I'm pleased those horses got freed. It looked like they were going to people that actually cared about them uh, and would look after them properly. Mm. Um, as opposed to just being strapped to a train. Yeah. <laughs> the way that they were. Uh, but that brings us to the end of this review. Murray and Jason, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Pleasure, thank Stephen. You. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. There's only a few episodes left this year and a couple of them are Christmas-based. That's right, we're heading towards December, slash are in December, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, And yeah, we've got Christmas films coming up. If you want to know what they are, 
you're going to have to subscribe. Uh, look for us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and get uh, new episodes each and every week. We're also available on Patreon. Uh, you can give us money, and in exchange, you get bonus features, goodies, uh, suggesting films for polls, that sort of thing. An extra two hours of um, <laughs> this talking review. about this. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you want to uh, join, go to patreon.com forward slash podcast. And finally, you can keep up to date with what we're up to over on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club there. You'll get news and updates. Leave us a comment as well. Let us know what you think of Lawrence of Arabia uh, when you finish it, probably by January. <laughs> <laughs> but that is all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. No prisoners. No prisoners. No prisoners. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.